Well, on Sunday night, we study God's Word verse by verse. It kind of gives us some uh, a preachment on Sunday morning and a teachment on Sunday night. There is such a word. We're in the fifth chapter of John tonight. Larry Benton wasn't home on that night in April 6, 1970. And so in the early morning hours of April 7, he wasn't there to protect his wife. And an intruder broke in to their home, raped his wife, tied her to the bed. And he went through the house in a tirade, ransacking the house, and he was obviously high on drugs. He was screaming in a tirade. He came back in the bedroom where Beverly Benton was tied. And he said, I'm going to keep on committing crime. This world is in such a mess. He'd go in and out to the rooms as he just ransacked the house and vandalized it. Came back in the bedroom again. This time he noticed on the wall a picture. The artist's conception of Jesus. He was frozen in his tracks and his eyes were glued to that picture. Around the picture in neat little frames, Beverly had framed and hung little mottos from the Bible, little claims of Jesus, things he said about himself, neat little frames around the picture. He stared at that for a long time. She screwed up her courage and said, Crime is not the answer. Jesus Christ in the heart of man is the only answer. The only hope for peace in the world is Jesus Christ. He went back in the other room searching for things to take with him, some precious jewels or something. He found the keys to their automobile. And just before he left in their car, he came back in and said, You're a lucky lady. I'd planned to kill you. You can thank your God that I didn't. A week later, the rapist, the intruder, the vandal, the robber was found, arrested. And Larry and Beverly Benton were invited down to the precinct station to identify him. They asked for a private audience. What would have been your reaction, husband? One of my close friends had a wife who was raped. What would be your reaction, wife? They asked for an audience, and they went in this room and sat down nose to nose with this man, having taken this matter to God in prayer in the hours before. And they sat there and told him of the love of God. The husband said, It is by God's love and grace that I shall forgive you. The wife said, I want you to know that Jesus Christ lives in my life and He forgives you and I forgive you. That's not the end of the story. As a matter of fact, I want to save the end of the story, the rest of the story, for the last of the sermon, just in case you plan to walk out here before I got there. But the proposition of that story is this. The proposition of that story is this that the claims of Jesus Christ were not meant to be framed for walls only, but they were meant to be framed into a life. They were meant to alter and change the course of one's life. 
And in this text that is before us tonight, beginning at verse 17, there are six tremendous claims of Jesus Christ. Now, He didn't make these claims in order for you to know about Him just to believe in Him. He made these claims in order that you might take the claims of Jesus and frame them into your life to allow them to alter and change the direction of the way you live. Now, we need some background. The text brings up the story of the man who was by the pool for 38 years, impotent and lame, waiting for somebody to take him and put him in the healing waters. You know that story. And Jesus came along and healed him. It was on the Sabbath day. And so he was brought before the religious leaders. They didn't rejoice in the man's healing. They said, man, what are you doing carrying your pallet on the Sabbath? You can't do that. That's against our law. Notice it was their law and not God's. They said, you can't carry the pallet on the, Lord, on the Sabbath day. Lay down your pallet, man, and tell us why you've done this. And he told them that it was because he had encountered a man at the pool of Bethesda who told him to take up his pallet and walk. And they brought in Jesus to encounter him, confront him. And in this confrontation, Jesus begins one of these long discourses. It is one of the longest discourses that Jesus presented in the Gospel of John. And in defense of what he had done, he makes this, he brings this discourse. And looking at verse 17, he, he makes a statement, a general statement that becomes the basis of all the claims that Jesus made about himself. It wasn't a claim, really. It was just a general statement. He said, my father works here too, and I work. He was saying, God has been active in sustaining, in creating and sustaining the universe. God has been active doing good and merciful acts in history. God has been at work in judgment, and I am at work. And then he makes six claims. I want us to get them down. Number one, he claims I am equal with God. Verse 19, Jesus therefore answered, was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son, the son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. He's saying this, What the Father does, I see. What the Father does, I do. So that he was claiming absolute equality with God. He was saying, I have the self-same power as God Himself has. And verse 20 says, For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all things that He Himself is doing. And greater works than these will He show Him that you may marvel. He said, you, you think this is something. You, ain't seen, you haven't seen anything yet. The Father shows me everything. Whatever He does, I see. Whatever He does, I do. I'm equal with the Father. Now, there comes into play, before you get too far into the Gospel of John, the marvelous doctrine of the Trinity. The Trinity is the, is the commitment or the faith, the declaration of a theology that believes that God, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit are co-equal and co-eternal. Now, to, ex to understand the doctrine of the Trinity is a tough thing. To explain it is a tough thing. I know this, 
that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have essential and equal characteristics and nature, and yet they have their own unique personalities and purposes. And beyond saying that, I don't have much to say. How do you, how do you illustrate the Trinity? How do you explain the unexplainable? Let me see if I can illustrate it like this. You ever seen a kid discover his shadow? That's the cutest thing. Now, they'll be playing around, and all of a sudden, they'll discover their shadow. You know, and they'll, you know, it's kind of, hey, there it is, there it is, there is mine, as a matter of fact. And they'll move, you know, move their hands, see that, that that's their shadow, and they even jump, etc. And they, it's just a cute thing to see that. Now, the shadow is not the person, but the shadow is inseparably linked to the person. Now, God cast his shadow upon the world when Jesus Christ came. And that shadow, that Jesus, was inseparably linked with the Father, co-equal and co-eternal. Jesus claimed equality with God. Now, don't, don't you be taken back by those cults and groups that say, sure, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. What they're saying is, they believe that Jesus is a son as you are a son of your Father, but not co-equal and co-eternal with Him. But Jesus claimed, I am equal with God. First claim. Second claim. He claimed to be the giver of life. Verse 21. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom He wishes. Now hang on to that. It's dynamite. He is the giver of life. Now in order to be the giver of life, you must be the source of life. The Scripture declares that out of, the, out of His being, out of His power, out of His creative activity, Jesus was the source and the giver of life. Now think of the truth of that. No one has ever been able to claim that. We are never so helpless as in the moment when our loved ones die. You ever thought about that? When they're sick, we can nurse them, give them medicine. When they're naked, we can clothe them. When they're sad, we can comfort them. When they're, when they're hungry, we can feed them. When they're depressed, we can encourage them. When they die, all we can do is comfort those who remain. I was preaching in West Texas one time, a little church in Brownfield, Texas. Everybody knows where Brownfield is. And I was up there preaching away, and this woman had a heart attack right in the middle of my sermon. That'll tell you about some of my early day sermons. <laughs> and, and I know what was happening, but I saw this lady over there just, you know, just laying out, and everybody began to move around, and, you know, and I just kept preaching. Boy, I, I don't know what is going on. And they came over there and, and literally carried her out. I mean, she was just, I mean, stiff as a stick. I mean, they, they just carried her out, two or three guys, out of the church. I'm not sure um, whether she was dead there or died later. But I thought about it a lot of times. Here's a guy up preaching. And here are all kinds of Christian people with all kinds of faith, prayer warriors. But when that moment of death came, wasn't a single thing anybody there could do about it. There's not anybody here who would claim to be the giver of life, is there? 
The only one who can make the claim, I am the giver of life, either physical life or spiritual life, is Jesus. Now notice, spiritual life. A man can't say, I'll take care of this matter myself. He can no more save himself, give himself spiritual life, than he can give himself physical life. That is a sovereign act of the Son of God. I'm the giver of life, claim two. Claim three. I am the final judge. Verse 22 and 3. For not even the Father judges anyone, but He has given all judgment to the Son, in order that all may honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. He is the final judge. Now, if I handed out a questionnaire tonight as you came in, and one question I asked on this little questionnaire, who is the final judge? I bet you I would imagine that most of you would fail the test. You'd probably all put God is the final judge. It's not the final judge. Jesus is the final judge. That one whose blood you have trampled underfoot, he's your final judge. That one who's, who has been nailed to the cross by your sin is your final judge. He has reserved that privilege to Jesus. Now he says, why, now why would he give that privilege to Jesus? Well, he answers the question for us in order that we might all honor him. Now, what do you call a man who sits, a person who sits in a courtroom as a judge? You call him your honor. And you better revere him and respect him for that position or you'll wish you had. Who is the final judge? Jesus is the final judge in order that all men might honor him. Now, if you don't honor him as the final judge in life, you will honor him as the final judge in death. And Paul said, there's coming a day when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess him. Your honor. Claim number four. I determine man's destiny. Verse 24 is my favorite verse in all the scripture. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word, there's the formula, hearing word, believing heart equals eternal life. He who hears my word and believes on him who sent me has eternal life. Now that's in the present tense. Notice the three tenses, present, past, and future. He is now having eternal life and does not or shall not come into judgment, future tense, but has passed, past tense, but has passed out of death into life. He is the, he is the, he determines man's destiny. Now, do you want to know how to pass out of death into life? It's through Jesus. Now, there's not a word here said about church membership. And there's not a word said about baptism or doing good works or moral righteousness. All that he says is that through Jesus Christ, you pass out of the realm of true death into the realm of true life. And one's judgment, now watch this, one's judgment for the believer is behind him forever because he's passed out of death into life. He determines man's destiny. Claim number five, I will raise the dead. Verse 25, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear shall live. Verse 28. Do not marvel at this, 
For an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs shall hear His voice and shall come forth. He raises, He claims to raise the dead. Now there are three things that come to mind. One is this. There is definitely life after death. Secondly, every person shall be affected by it. And number three, mankind after death will be in one or two categories. He will be lost or he will be saved. There's no in-between. True story. Three men were on a Bengal tiger hunt. And they were sitting around the fire one night and their discussion turned to what was the greatest thrill of their life. One of them was a Christian. Guess which one answered at the end. One said, the greatest thrill of my life was on a hunt in Africa and I bagged a rare black panther. The second said, the biggest thrill of my life was I killed a charging elephant. The third answered, the biggest thrill of my life is in the future and it will take place one second after my death. And we will hear the voice of the Son of God and we live. Claim number six. I always do the will of God. What a claim. How unlike man. Now with your hand, with your scripture, your, your thumb there on that scripture, turn quickly to chapter 8, verse 28. Chapter 8, verse 28 just kind of amplifies just what I've said, what I've read. Verse 28 says, Jesus therefore said, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. And I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me, and He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. Does anybody can make that claim tonight? I do only that which pleases God. What a remarkable statement. Now, I want us to go back just quickly. I want us to look at these six claims. Are you ready? I want you to think, if you know of anybody, is there anybody you know who could make just one of these claims? I am equal with God. I am the giver of life. I am the final judge. I determine man's destiny. I will raise the dead. I always do the will of God. Anybody you know can make one claim like that. All right? Would you look over in the back of this sheet of paper? Now, there are four possible conclusions to the claims of Christ. Now notice them. There are two alternatives to the claims of Christ. One is that His claims were false. If if that's true, then there are two alternatives. He knew they were false. He did not know they were false. If He knew they were false, then He deliberately misrepresented Himself. And the conclusion to uh, to that is, He's a liar and a hypocrite. Or, He did not know they were false... And he, he, he unknowingly misrepresented himself. He just didn't know any better. And there are two alternatives to that. 
to make two conclusions of that. One is that he was deluded and insane, or he was just a sincere and great teacher who thought he uh, was what he said he was. All right, the second alternative, the claims of Christ are true. Now, 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 now watch. If the claims of Christ are true, the conclusion to that should be that Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life. I mean, this man makes some remarkable and astounding claims. If his claims are true, then he should be the Lord of your life. So that the two alternatives are, you either accept him or you reject him. For you don't take the claims of Christ and nail them to a wall. The claims of Christ are to alter and change your life. Well, that's a, well made. Wait a minute. What about Larry and Bev Benton? Larry and Bev Benton, true story, because of their experience with this one man, decided that God was leading them into a prison ministry. And they started a prison ministry that touched the lives of hundreds of men. And there was one man in the prison that they led to Christ, one of hundreds of men who was responsible for leading 641 men to faith in Jesus. And they took the claims of Jesus Christ and they framed them into their life and lived them out believing that because he was equal with God, they had God walking around in their body. And because he was the giver of life, nothing could touch them that had death written on it. And because he was the final judge, he had already judged and they had passed from death unto life. And one day he'd call their name and they would live with him forever. And so they did that which pleased Him. What about you? If you, can't, if you can't prove that the claims of Jesus are false, you ought to bow your knee and confess Him as Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this marvelous and wonderful Christ who was everything he said, everything he did, everything he was. We bow our knees and our hearts to him. We confess him to be Jesus Christ, God's Son knowing that only the Holy Spirit inside of us can confess Him as Lord. And I pray tonight, Father, that those of us here who have never declared faith in the living Christ will trust Him tonight, bow their knee to Him, surrender their heart and life to Him. And I pray for decisions to come 
from this service to glorify your name only. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Now in a minute we're going to sing an invitation. Let's just sing Just As I Am. That's one we all know. Just As I Am. You don't have to look at a book. These are the invitations. The first invitation. These are simultaneous. Come to, re- come to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Come to accept Him into your life. Come to say, I believe Him. I believe Him. I trust Him. I believe what He says is true. I come to declare my faith in Him, to follow Him, to be His disciple, His servant, His friend. The second invitation is for you to come and place your life in the church. God is leading you to our community and God is leading you to a church that wants to love God and serve the Lord. There might be some who need to just rededicate their life to Christ because you've gotten away from God. You do that right now while we stand and sing. You come right quickly.